Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, this is a great episode, not only for beer drinkers, but for life lovers. <laughs> um, you're going to hear from the founder of Scott Brewing, a guy named Dave Thibodeau. Actually, there are two founders, but Dave's the one who took me up on my offer, so I got him. Um, you know, his story is so cool because he started his company when he was really young in his 20s and started brewing beer well before the legal drinking age. <laughs> um, and he's just really come a long way. And I truly see him as a visionary in the fact that he's not only making, turning his passion into his job, but he's really looking at the business holistically and trying to figure out what those next steps are and how they connect, which you're going to hear about. Um, Scott Brewing is doing very cool things. I'm actually a bit envious that the craft brewing trade is so collaborative. Um, he is, and, and by the time you'll hear this, he, he will have finished a week-long bike ride that he's doing with the CEOs and founders of a whole bunch of other craft brewing companies. I would love to call my partners in trade, um, the women who, who run and own other women's clothing companies, even if we're competitive in nature, and get out there and do cool stuff because I truly believe that that's the kind of energy that makes the world a bigger and better place. So without further ado, I will bring on Dave. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 19 of Run This World with my new great friend, <laughs> Dave Thibodeau. He's the co-founder of Scott Brewing in Durango, Colorado. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Nicole. Here's what I love about our interview today. So I was late because I was trying to squeeze in a swim. And when you emailed me back, you said, hey, I'm going to squeeze in a bike ride. <laughs> so how cool is that? That uh, fitness, you know, depend, no matter what industry you're in and how hard you work, you're making sure that you squeeze in your workout. <laughs> That's absolutely true. It's kind of, uh, it, it took a lot of years for me to figure out how important that really was. And now it's just part of my day. And it, I'm not very, it's not a very structured plan. I don't know what I'm going to do on any given day or when I'm going to do it, but I'm going to get, I'm going to get a bike ride or a run in every day sometime during what normal people think of as a regular eight hour work day. <laughs> well, maybe in your case, you could count it as work. I, I do. <laughs> So how, okay, so here's a question then. So, uh, so when, if you don't do it right first thing in the morning, what are the chances that you're actually going to get that workout in later? That's an awesome question because the, the odds go down drastically by the hour after, <laughs> after about 9am. <laughs> it's especially particularly when it's as hot as it's been out, but, um, 
my day becomes, and I'm just this type of person, I get up really early in the morning and I'm far more productive in the first half of my day than I am the second half of my day. And then I have a, I have a nine-year-old daughter and my wife works as much as I do too. So there's a big juggling act and I, and I know you know what that's about. So it's kind of, uh, as the day goes on, I kind of get a little bit anxious about it if I don't do something before lunch. And then lunch is like my last hurrah, I got to get this done. Otherwise, it goes from like 98% likelihood that I'm going to get something down to to about 2% if I don't do something before lunch. Oh, I love that. So, uh, okay, this is also, this is another question. So you're clearly in the craft beer industry, and we're going to talk a whole bunch about how cool your business is and all kinds of stuff. But I assume that there is like drinking and sampling and tasting and things like that that happen throughout a day. So like, what time does all that start? And if you actually come in and they're like, hey, test this thing I've been working on and it's 1030 in the morning, are you going to test it and then still get out on your bike? That's another good question. There's, <laughs> so, so generally, depending really on when you get up, but, but for somebody who's going to work at eight o'clock in the morning, has breakfast before they go to work, your palate is at its best at around 11 o'clock in the morning. So when it comes to like sensory analysis, uh, where we're really tasting and, and, and talking about and pulling apart different beers, um, 11 o'clock in the morning is a really good time to do it. So we don't always do that. We kind of, we have some regular times in the afternoon and then we do some sensory stuff at, in the morning, but it's, uh, I'm pretty careful about it. Um, there's things like road biking where I just, I don't like to have any beer at all until I'm done. I'm a little less careful about it with the mountain bike and then running, you know, I can, I can have a beer and go run on a trail and, and feel great about it. So it really depends on what I'm doing and generally wait until later in the day. And I'm less productive, you know, at my computer or just at work in general, even after I've had a sip of beer. So I I like to wait until the end of the day, generally, regardless of exercise. Nice. I'm, you know, I love the whole, it's five o'clock somewhere. I mean, this is, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely overused, but uh, that's really cool to hear your perspective. So, you know, before we get, I, I'm definitely coming back to this height of sensory, you know, palate science that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But before we dig into that cool stuff that you've got some expert probably analysis on, I want to, I want our listeners to hear more about your founding story. Because what really struck me is that you and your partner kind of claimed, well, we weren't old enough to buy it yet, so we may as well make it. And if we're making it, we're going to make the best damn beer you ever had. So (laughs) I just wanted to really dig into this and find out, is that in fact true? Are you creating tall tales? Like, Tell us how you got this thing started. No, it's absolutely true. And at the the risk of tarnishing my reputation, I will, uh, by by talking about health and sports and not that I'm just this party guy that I've always presented myself to be, which I really kind of always have been, but I, but like I was telling you, I kind of, it's more of a balance now and I wait and, you know, weekends are bigger for me and blah, blah, blah. But when, uh, when we were in high school, it certainly wasn't the case. We were big party kids and, uh, we ran across a book, a a log book actually is what it turned out to be on my dad's bookshelves in the living room. Uh, when we were, I think in 11th grade in the mid eighties. And, uh, 
it said brew book and we started flipping through it and it turned out my dad had been a home brewer and he'd been home brewing since 1969 was the first recipe and then his, these log sheets in this book went up to about 1980 so probably just before I would have even noticed that he was making beer he he quit and then we ran across this book and we were trying to figure out flipping through these recipes you know hey where does he where does he add the alcohol? When did, how do you do this? And we realized he was actually making the alcohol and it was like a light bulb going on. And, uh, so that's kind of how we got into it. We, we, we realized you could buy, there weren't any homebrew stores yet. Um, but you could buy like malt extract in the baking section at King Supers or whatever grocery store. I just happened to live by King Supers. I grew up in Wheat Ridge. So, um, that was kind of the beginning of it. And we went and approached my dad and he got excited to get back into home brewing. And, and that's really how it started at first. At first it was definitely more about, uh, the alcohol. I didn't know a lot about craft beer. We, and we referred to it as of course, micro brews then craft it, as it's related to beer. wasn't such a big term at the time if used at all. So that's how we got into it. And then over the years we just kept, um, my partner went to uh, CU, and we just kept brewing either in his kitchen or in my kitchen in Denver. I went to Metropolitan State College, and uh, and then our kind of the reason ska came a part of it was we were really into ska music. We were kind of punk rock kids, got really into ska. That was kind of our soundtrack to our brew day. In fact, we felt like if we didn't listen to ska, the beer probably wouldn't turn out very good. So. That's, oh my, like yeah. a superstition. No, it was a juju thing. <laughs> so like, okay, I read about Scott too, because I'm thinking, what is Scott? Do I know Scott? Well, we came from the same generation. And of course, I recognize a few of the bands that they would characterize as Scott, like English Beat. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. And I love that music. Love it. But you, like you guys used it. You, somehow it got into your soul. Like this became the actual name of your company. Yeah. And I, I still have a hard time figuring that out. I think, I think a lot of it was that um, as much as we were really into punk, punk rock, there was the angry side of punk rock wasn't really our thing, but kind of the DIY side. And we were, you know, we were nice and we, we were happy kids. And so it was kind of like, ska was like the version of that. There was some attitude there, but there was a lot of positivity and, uh, a lot of the early, it was called the second wave of ska, but like where the English beat came from, um, it was a lot of uh, unity between working class black kids and white kids in, in the UK. And that's where a lot of these bands came out of. And they refer to it actually as the two-tone era. And that's that's a reference to the unity between black kids and white kids. And that's where all the black and white checkers come from um, that we have in a lot of our artwork. And so... There was just a, a much more positive and upbeat message and, a, and dancing that wasn't necessarily like thrashing. And I think that was we gravitated toward that because we were generally, you know, happy, happy kids. And and it just seemed like a fun way to go. And we actually when we actually started the brewery down in Durango quite a few years later, um, we opened up in 1995. You know, we were trying to figure out what dog or mountain or river we should name the brewery after because that just seemed to be what everybody did. 
and Bill was fairly adamant that we stick with calling ourselves ska brewing, which is what we always did when we were just making beer in our kitchen. So we stuck with it and we promoted a lot of shows and stuff in our early days and brought a lot of bands to town. And they kind of, I don't know if you picked up on this, but a, a lot of our story uh, comes from a comic book that we wrote in 1995. And so these ska bands and our friends in Durango were all, are all play a role somewhere in this comic book and help us defeat the evil rot guts and international beverage court corporation <laughs> in the end of the comics. So. <laughs> oh, totally into comics. In fact, I wanted to make a comic about skirt sports because I felt like we were like the heroine of women's fitness clothing, which yeah. was so boring and bland. Right. So <laughs> I get it. I totally get it. And FYI, my husband, Tim, he's uh, he's got a big old comic book collection, literally like four or five of those big boxes and oh, they're all in plastic yeah. bags. And one year, like early on when I first met him and we were totally broke, it was like, can we please sell that thing? And he was like, <laughs> we are not touching it. I don't care if we have to like, you know, steal toilet paper out of the porta potties. We are not selling the comic book collection. Good for him. <laughs> so we still have it. I know. It's great. Fantastic. But and and I just it's really cool because it sounds really organic how things happened for you. How old were you when when you opened uh, in 1995 when you is that when you opened the brewery? Yeah, so we opened in 95, so 21 years ago now. We're just about to have our 21st anniversary party in September. I was 26 years old, I think when we opened it, 27. And uh but it's funny, you know, I kind of uh now that I'm almost 50, I still act like a, a kid that's in high school. And, and I feel like, I don't feel like my life has changed very much as far as who I am and the stuff I do and the things I'm into. Like, it's just all like a bunch of fun, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so it's kind of funny. It seems I keep calling this and referring to us as punk ass kids when we started the brewery, even though we were 27 years old and a lot of people have done a lot of things by the time they're 27 years old. I still think like I was a kid, you know, and I probably, when I'm 75, I'll probably re refer to the 48 year old me as, as a kid as well. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. I was just thinking the other day about how anyone who's like 35 or younger, I now call a kid. Well, I'm yeah. only 44. <laughs> I'm like those kids. Um, <laughs> but here I'd be calling you a kid. You know, um, it's funny. I, I agree with this idea of how important fun is. And it sounds like it's been something that you've needed in order for your business to grow and remain what you envisioned it to be. How important is it to have fun with what you do as a job? Um, that's another good question. And it's actually one of our core values. Uh, hard work and fun are not mutually exclusive. I think as far as the culture of our business and and who we are, it's you mentioned uh, authenticity, and it, that's exactly what it was. I think with with this particular brewery, it has been really organic. Like if I had any kind of business background whatsoever, I certainly wouldn't have said, "Hey, we should combine um, ska music and comic books and craft beer and start a business." To me, those three things aside from this brewery, didn't have anything to do with each other and probably should not be let in the same room with each other. But I think because that is what we've done, 
Um, and it is those were just the things that we were passionate about and enjoyed and all of which are fun, which ties into your question. I think um, it's enabled us to present ourselves just as a as a company that's just doing what they believe in, which I think is is really important. And it's something that I keep referring to Rot Gutson as the en- enemy, but that's basically somebody like Anheuser-Busch and uh, big giant global brewing corporation. But that's something that they cannot replicate no matter how hard they try. And you can see how hard they're trying right now, buying up a lot of small craft brewers. And so I think, you know, fun and just being authentic and true to ourselves, it's been a formula that has worked for us. And I feel really grateful and fortunate about that. And so as you grow and you bring more people into the fold and your business gets more complicated and you add more products, is it easy to maintain that those original core values? To some extent, but it is, it's definitely a little more difficult because particularly as you need more, more, you hire people in more skilled positions that maybe might not come from a, a background where the culture is very similar or, or maybe they have the technical skills or whatever that you really need, but maybe they just led a much different lifestyle than ska music and comic books. And, and obviously it's, it's becomes more and more difficult to find somebody that lived a similar life to us from high school up till now, as you need somebody who's really good at chemistry or whatever it might be, you know? So it's definitely more difficult but the, the beauty of, I think, our company is that the, the, being located in Durango, being Colorado, Colorado is just a huge part of it. And so I think a lot of it comes naturally. And I think when new people come on board, it's not just it's it's been enough years. And it, like you said, it's organic enough and it's and it's Colorado enough that I think just through osmosis, people end up becoming a part of it. So a lot of it happens naturally. But it is something that we're actually much more conscious about now than we used to be. Like, it's something I think about. That's true. I think there's a a definite turning of the tide when you actually have to start thinking about it. And, you know, it brings up another question. You said you're going on 50 soon. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know, and you're still a kid. That's cool. I I love that. I am too. Um, So with your business, is this what you're going to be doing until you're 80 or... Do you have other plans? So it's we've kind of have an interesting situation. So I, my my partner Bill that I started the brewery with, him and I started a distillery, Peach Street Distillers, up in Palisade in late two thousand four. So he recently moved up there to run that business. Um, we're still equal partners there and and equal partners here. And then we also have a third partner at Ska, who about a year and a half ago, started a fabricating business making canning line equipment for small brewers. So he's no longer in the building every day, and he now has SCA fabricating. So we have these two other businesses that my partners, equal partners, are running. And what I told them 18 months ago was that, okay, you can go run the distillery, you go run the, uh, you go run the fabrication business, And then in about a year and a half, which we're right at that point in time, I'd love to have some things in place where I can just ride my bike. (laughs) And, uh, and those guys, you know, I don't need to make any, I don't need to be, I don't need another job. I just need some time. And I feel like, you know, in the 21 years we've had the brewery, I've sacrificed a lot and 
and health is so much more important to me than it used to be. And it's also a lot of fun to ride mountain bikes and run. So I told them I'm willing to sacrifice, you know, any opportunity to make, make any money doing something else just for my time. So if I could, you know, starting about now, it's not happening quite yet, but I just want more time and I don't mind. I love the brewery. So I, I love being the face of the brewery and uh, talking with, you know, friends and people about the industry and being out in front of it. But I really want to, I don't want to be in the office day to day that much longer. So certainly not when I'm 80, but I still hope that I'm involved, but I'd really like to be spending, you know, a lot of time riding my bike instead of sitting at my computer. (laughs) You know, instead of selling off to an empire, you guys are creating an empire and I love it because you're basically creating your own supply chain. This is so smart. I actually didn't, I didn't know about the other two businesses. I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, could you put your, uh, what, what liquors, what are you making at Peach Street? So we make uh, Colorado's first bourbon. It's just called Colorado Straight Bourbon. And then we do a lot of fruit stuff. So fruit brandies, which is why we're located in Palisade. Um, just the quality of the fruit that is grown up there. And then my, my partner has a little vineyard up there too. He doesn't make wine, but he grows grapes. So there's, there's just, it's really fertile, fertile up there. And, um, we do some interesting things with, with the grapes and the fruits, like we do grappas and fruit brandies. And then we have a vodka and a, and a gin as well. Jackalope gin and, and goat vodka. It's kind of like a farm. It's, it's all about the farm up there is kind of the branding and the idea behind it. There's a lot of animals involved with our story up there. So it's, it's, it's pretty funny. This is so cool. You guys need to start giving some tours. You could do bike rides from, you know, one business to the next. Or, oh, I man, know. <laughs> I know. We're gonna, I'm coming up with another industry for you, bike tours <laughs> from Ska to Peach Street. I love it. Um, so, okay, let's, uh, let's transition a little bit. So I was thinking about this because I'm listening to the products you make and in my head going, God, I wish I could drink some. And most of my listeners know I actually haven't had a drink in almost 10 years because I, you know, a friend of mine described it as, you know, I think she was too good at it. (laughs) I'm very competitive. Um, So I, uh, you know, I had a problem with alcohol and I stopped a long time ago, but man, this industry is doing such cool things. Um, but what I want to come back to is what is it with athletes and drinking? Because a lot of the people listening are runners and they don't, I'm not saying everybody has alcohol problems by any means. Um, but a lot of, a lot of us and a lot of runners and athletes in general really appreciate finishing your workout, putting your feet up, having a cold one. What do you think it is about athletes and kicking back? I think that's very true. And it's particularly like, like trail running, you know, and I don't know what it is, but when I go on a long run or if I'm in a race for miles, as I get through, you know, past the first half of whatever it is I'm doing, I, all I can think about is this beer at the end that I'm going to be able to have. And, uh, <laughs> and I honestly like, I think about it. I mean, holy grail. <laughs> I, I could do so much better if I didn't drink at all. But to me, the reward of, punishing myself and getting something done like that and, and feeling good and feeling strong. The reward is, is just 
worth it to me to maybe not be as good as I could be as far as my physical potential or competitiveness goes, but because I like the beer that much, you know, so I think, and I think there's a lot of people that are like me, like maybe they're, they could be fantastic athletes, but that's not what they're striving for. They're just trying to be healthy. And it's part of that balance that we were talking about a little bit earlier. It's, you know, I think it's healthy and, or at least not unhealthy to, to finish a good workout or run or, or bike ride and, and have a beer and and then feel really good about it. And I certainly understand uh, that it can inhibit progress if you're really trying to, to, you know, if you're not one of those weird anomalies that can just drink beer and break all kinds of records or whatever. But I think, you know, if, if it's, it's certainly in moderation, I think it's okay. If you drink as much as I do, I'm never going to be able to do some of the stuff that I, that I see friends do that just don't really drink. And, but I don't, I don't know. It's interesting. You know, there is that, I think it's just that reward factor of craft beer. Craft beer is pretty rewarding. And I think, uh, people want to be part of it. And it's like you said, the industry is fantastic. There's a lot of camaraderie and being a part of that. It, it's a lot like being part of like the trail running community or mountain bike community, working in the craft brewing industry is very similar. And I think there's a lot of crossover there. And so whether it's, you know, you finish your mountain bike ride at a brewery, which obviously in Boulder, you probably see all the time. We certainly see it in Durango. And then it's just about the social side of it. And, and the fun side back back to the fun side again so it's it's a matter of what level of an athlete i think you want to be you know and then and then if you can as long as it's not something you have a an overall problem with i think it's a great community to 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 be a part of because in general the craft brewing community does they do a lot for the place they live and they they try to give back a lot and and i think you know people who have a lot of time to think because they're running want to be part of that. And they, they, there's a certain degree of appreciation that maybe the regular eight to five guy that just is a suit grinding things away and isn't thinking about their health probably never really considers. That could be too. And you know, when you really want something, you will look for the articles in the paper that tell you why it's good for you. Yeah, totally. Because <laughs> I've switched. I switched from drinking alcohol to drinking coffee. And believe me, I've looked for those articles that tell me caffeine is good for me and they exist. So is there a science behind, you know, are there some qualities of the alcohol, whether it's, you know, beer or from your distillery, different kinds of alcohol that, that you can cite the benefits, health benefits even. Well, craft beers, craft beer is a little interesting. And I'm always, it's like you said, if you, if you go looking for it, you can find it. And I don't know that I necessarily buy into a lot of the stuff I read. Like it's easy for me to find something that says drinking red wine or drinking beer is healthy. Some of the things I do know is like with beer, maybe not so much with spirits, but like craft beer isn't so cleaned up and pasteurized. So there's a lot of B vitamins in there from yeast and there's there are healthy things once again moderation too much alcohol is never that's not going to be a good thing for anybody so i hate to try and cite anything particularly because you can find as many articles if not quite a few more that say that it's just not a good idea but by the same token you know to me the the beer is just worth it 
And I'm the same way with coffee too. You know, it's the same thing. Just like you said, I, coffee is a big part of my life also. And I can find a million things printed about why maybe it should or shouldn't be. And it just depends on what I want to go out and find. <laughs> well, what's cool is you have the opportunity to combine them. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I want to learn more about your actual beers. So what was the very first beer that you made? That was a real beer, not just like something in the bathtub. I'm imagining you actually in the bathtub, like <laughs> brewing your beer in the tub. Kind of close. Um, <laughs> it was more of a basement without a tub and we just made a big mess. But yeah, it's kind of, uh, that's pretty much how we started. And then actually once we moved to Durango, uh, Bill, this was is a crazy story, but so Durango's got a tunnel system underneath the roads that all the prominent people lived two blocks at the turn of the previous century, late 1800s. All our prominent politicians and stuff lived two blocks off of Main Street on East 3rd Avenue, which has some still some of those historic kind of mansions. And there was a tunnel system from some of those houses to the brothels down on Main Street. And my partner, Bill, when we just as we were getting the brewery going, one of those mansions was owned by a family in Hawaii and some friends of theirs had a kid going to college here at Fort Lewis, and they asked him if he would rent out the 11 bedrooms to his friends, all college kids. And so Bill rented one of those rooms. So it was this sweet historic mansion with 11 college kids living living in it. And in the basement was one of the tunnels that goes down to some of our classic bars here on Main Street that used to be brothels so that the politicians and stuff could get down there without being seen. And it was, it's cemented in a little ways in, but in that stone room was really where we started the brewery and really took our home brewing skills to the next level. And then we eventually got some space and, and our, the very first beer we ever made was true blonde, which we still make to this day. And we poured the, uh, we poured those first two kegs at the Telluride, Blues, what's now the Blues and Brews Festival, but it used to be called the Telluride Brewers Festival. Wow. You know, it's very cool that you are still making True Blonde. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. Awesome. And if you go on your website, there's a mix of um, bottled beers, canned beers, all kinds. I mean, the one there's one that you call the Mole Stout. Yeah. That, it just sounds amazing. Okay, so who comes up with these ideas? Um, it's kind of, you know, it could be anybody really. There was, our brewers pretty much come up with most of the recipes, but we throw a lot of ideas around just beers that we'd like to try for one reason or another. And, uh, sometimes something will stick and it's been kind of difficult because we have a, our brew system is kind of large, but we did just recently install a smaller brewery that we now refer to as the mod brewery at SCA, where we can do you know, seven to 14 kegs of beer at a time. So a lot of ideas that we've never get a, had a chance to work on just kind of get tossed around, whether it's, whether it's in a meeting or at the bar or maybe it's a beer style that's hot right now or just a, a spice or a food that we wanted to try. So sometimes somebody will bring up an idea that's compelling enough that we just go for it. And it could be anybody that works at the brewery. And then our brewers usually – you know, they, they refine the recipe and, and make it all happen. Our head brewer's name's Thomas Larson, and he's he loves messing around with all manner of crazy ingredients. So it's a lot of fun. 
Maybe we should do something for our listeners where they can do a contest and kick around some crazy ideas. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. We're going to look for that in the show notes afterwards. <laughs> um, okay. So what's the craziest or coolest or biggest failure of a flavor you've ever done? Oh, you know, we did a, uh, we do a special beer for our big winter carnival that takes place over the course of a week in January every year. It's called, the carnival's called Snowdown. And we kind of, uh, um, and it's called Snowdown and there's always a theme and it was a surfing theme one year. And it was, uh, we did a, a pineapple smoked coconut Hefeweizen. Um, <laughs> That actually now doesn't seem so weird, but when we did it, there weren't many crazy beers along those lines out there. And uh, we toasted, toasted like our own coconut. And that one had mixed reviews and was pretty interesting. And thank God it was only one batch because some people just loved it, but a lot of people just hated it. So (laughs) we've had a couple of those one-off batches for, for our snowdown carnival that have been really good. And, uh, and a little weird. And then all those stouts, you brought up the mole stout. We have like a seasonal stout program and we do a, a coffee stout called Bump and Grind. Oh. Yeah, it's really, that's really good. And then a mole stout. And we did a mint stout where we used cocoa nibs and vanilla beans and real spearmint and real peppermint. And so it kind of, uh, we've messed around quite a bit and actually released those beers to Mixed reviews, but mostly not because of the quality of the beer, just because of the wackiness of the recipe, I guess. I think that's the key is being able to try small batch because you're never going to know for sure. So to go fully into production is a huge risk. And yet, if you don't get to try new and different things, you're never going to stay innovative. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's why we put that kind of that new brewery in place. Um, we just put, dropped it right in the middle of our warehouse and it's kind of its own thing. You know, it's its own brewery there. And a lot of our staff is, has some really great input and we've been messing around with varying degrees of like tart or sour beers and different fruits. And we, there's some synergies between the distillery and the brewery. Like we can use our bourbon barrels to age our beers in and we can get fruit from Palisade. So a lot of messing around like that. And that's what keeps it a lot of fun. And unfortunately we don't package a lot of those beers, so they're only available here in our tasting room. But, you know, every time, every once in a while, something hits and then we, we produce it on a bigger scale. But it's really nice to have the small brewery where we can really experiment and, and mess around and have a lot of fun with it. Oh, it's fantastic. You're so smart to do that. All right. I want to know more about this whole 11 a.m. height of your palate you know, senses. Tell us more about that because people listening are going, why does food taste different, you know, different times of day or the first bite makes me grimace or whatever, but what's this 11 a.m. magic? Okay. So I'm not the, I'm, I'm probably not the best person to ask about this. And it's something that, uh, we have, um, our quality control folks that set up our sensory analysis program could answer much better than myself, but it's, I think a lot of it has to do with generally that that's the thing is people getting up at different times, people eating different foods, uh, coffee, coffees that wrecks your palate for a while, but there's all sorts of criteria and different variations on why someone's palate may be better than somebody else's. And some people are just naturally have a better 
palate for tasting certain things or picking up on certain off flavors in beer, um, regardless of time of day. So those are a lot of breweries as they get bigger, they'll pick, they'll have like an A team that's their sensory analysis team because they've proven through maybe certain tests or just throughout the, the history of their sensory analysis program, they've proven that they can, they have the most sensitive palate and can pick up on certain things that they really need to pick up on. But in general, it seems, and I can't remember where I originally got this idea from, but our, but our, but our sensory folks kind of have, have always sort of helped me confirm it just by agreeing, but I don't know where the source came from. But if you, if you're getting a whole group of people together uh, to take part in like a taste panel that that time of day, um, just before lunch, after I think most of the foods you may have eaten in the morning or the coffee or whatever, and depending on when people got up, there's that time of day is a really good time when your, your palate is cleansed and you're still fairly alert. You're not thinking about other things and you can really hone in on certain flavors or tastes. The science behind it, I think, is probably a bit more complicated than that, but in a nutshell, Hopefully that kind of makes sense. You know, I mean, I can still taste this morning's coffee and we're going on at 11 o'clock right now. You well, know? that's because so. you just, you just had your third cup. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what you're saying is if people see a job posting for a sensory analysis team member, they need to apply if they want to get involved with tasting yummy ska craft brew. That's right. Um, <laughs> So, okay, you mentioned uh, you're married, you've got a nine-year-old daughter. Clearly this happened while you were building your business. I actually have heard that your wife is a bit of a running rock star. So what, is she involved in your business too? What's, how do you guys support each other? Um, she's, she actually works for a, a, a nonprofit foundation that protects public lands and national monuments. And yeah, she's, she's quite a runner. She's, she doesn't, she doesn't really compete for, she competes against herself. So she's done Boston the last couple of years and she's, I think she hasn't done an, an Ironman yet, but she's, she does a lot of shorter distance triathlons. And I think that's ultimately her goal. And I'm sure once she actually does that, then she'll want to keep doing it, but pretty much to just get a PR every time and, and beat herself. But Right now she's training for, uh, we have a great race down here in the beginning of September called the Imogene Pass Run. And it runs from uh, from Uray, Colorado into Telluride, Colorado over Imogene Pass at really, I think, well over 13,000 feet. And great run. That was my first actual race that I ever did. And it was, it, it crushed me, but kind of set me off on a trail running adventure that that I love. And, uh, so yeah, she's, I mean, we get up really early in the morning. We trade getting my daughter to school and we swap at lunch and she's, you know, the summer's crazy with a nine year old kid. She's got rock climbing camp in the morning and then a different type of camp in the afternoon. And so we just try and support each other by just alternating. Or if somebody has got a particular opportunity, then, then let them do it. And the other person can step in and pick my daughter up or whatever it is. And fortunately, a lot of the stuff my daughter's into is, is active stuff like riding bikes and swimming and climbing. So there's, there's a lot of similarities there and, and things that we can all do together as well. So she's, 
yeah, she crushes me every time we're in a, a race together or whatever it might be. I think, you know, maybe you, you maybe you've heard of her from our mutual friend Peter Archer because we all just ran a 33k race in Moab. Um, oh, it yeah. just blows my mind. I would still be doing these long races if it wasn't for wear and tear on my body. So, uh, I'm a Gene Pass. I've always wanted to do that race. I'm hoping someday again I will. Did oh, you meet? Okay. And what's your wife's name? Her name's Julie, Julie Thibodeau. So did you meet Julie through sports or beer? Well, interestingly enough, um, we've been together for 25 years now and, uh, we met in college and that was when we were total college kids bar scene well before we opened the brewery and she used to smoke about two packs of cigarettes a day. Whoa. (laughs) Awesome. Good for her getting off of that habit. We lead a very different life. And then she's, she's a a beer fan as well. So a lot of that, you know, we do a lot of, a lot of exercising and then finishing it off with a celebratory beer. So it's kind of, yeah, it's, we've had an interesting life, like getting healthy together and it's been fantastic. And I'm so happy and proud that, that, She's she's helped me get there and hopefully I've I've been there for her when she needed it too and we've we've kind of encouraged each other to just keep getting after it. So how did becoming a dad change your life? Oh man, that was I think so I have I have a lot of issues and I've I've with like crashing bikes and snowboarding and I've been sewn together like every limb is bolted together or sewn on and I've injured myself <laughs> a lot over the years. And one of the big issues I had was um, back problems. So I couldn't really do much for the first 10 years of the brewery because my lower back was so messed up. And then I got my spine fused. I finally blew it up completely and had no option really. And I got my spine fused and then it took about a year. And that during that year was when my daughter was born. And I just realized that for her, I need to get strong and I need to be healthy. And fortunately, the fusion of my back made that possible when it was really, my life was just miserable because of back pain before that. And I was really nervous about the surgery. So yeah, so she was, she was born in October. I had the surgery in February, so I couldn't really lift her up for the first year of her life. But all I could think about was how I'm going to get healthy so I can be there for her. And I want her to grow up healthy and in a healthy place. And you know, I think between my wife and I, uh, and fortunately, you know, we live in Durango and Boulder's a similar, a similar type of place. It's a healthy place for a kid to grow up. And I just feel really grateful. And I think she's a big reason that my life has switched from just drinking beer to like <laughs> being a little healthier and, and, and having that beer as in moderation and as a celebration instead of a way of general way of life, you know? Well, yeah, you flipped the equation instead of drinking all day and getting out for a five minute bike ride. You're, you said, uh, I think you said you're doing a big ride next week. Yeah. So that's, and that's some more of our great, uh, brewery friends and including our friends up there at Avery Brewing. Um, they called me, Adam Avery called me a number of years ago. It was, I think six or seven years ago now and said, Hey, I've got this crazy idea. My my brewers and I and some other people at the brewery want to ride our road bikes down to your brewery. And can we have a special beer or something kind of celebration when we get there? 
And so I chimed in. I've never even ridden a road bike at that point. Um, I was just like my mountain bike. And uh, I chimed in and said, I want to do it too. And so ever since then, we've been doing what we call the Tour of Boulderango. And we ride, it's a bunch of brewery owners. Um, and we ride over Colorado's highest paved pack mountain passes. Uh, and we do a number of charity events, but we, we do about 450 miles in, in four or five or five or six days of riding. So our longest day is 130 miles. Our shortest day is around 65 miles. That's taking place next week. And we've got, um, Brian Dunn from Great Divide, Dave Cole from Epic Brewing, um, myself, obviously from Scott and then Adam from Avery and a couple other people, I think. And then as long as the owner of the brewery's there, employees can go as well. So it's kind of a, it's a lot of fun, a lot of, a lot more camaraderie. There is a lot of beer involved, but there's a lot of pretty serious, fast, at least for me, road biking up some giant passes. So it's a, it's the thing that drives me through the spring and into the summer every year, because it's really a difficult ride. (laughs) Well, and you know what it says is how cool that you businesses that could be seen as competitive are maybe competitive, but not cutthroat. You understand that growing the entire industry is the best thing for all of you individually. And I applaud that. And I, I want to create that environment within my category too. You know, there's room for it because there's still a lot of market share and you know it, you've probably, you know, you've done enough uh, probably research to realize, I mean, to me, at least it appears, and maybe it's just because I've engulfed myself in this lifestyle now, but to me, it appears as though people seem to be wanting to get healthier every day. There's more and more people on bikes and more and more people running. The races are filling up faster and, and that means for a company like yours that, there's a lot of opportunity and market share still out there. And that's exactly how we feel with craft beer. Like we share ideas and it helps raise the bar. And because of it, we all have better ideas and better quality beer. And sure, we're competing with each other, but there's still so much, you know, there's still, we only have just over 11% of the market share right now. So there's still a lot of people that don't drink craft beer. And I think like you, there's going to be a lot more people that want cool clothes that, that they can live the lifestyle they want to live in and not have to, you know, that present them as they are and want to be. And so I think it's, I think it's a smart move with small business in general. And I think it can help. I think it could really help a lot of other small businesses to, to have that kind of an attitude and, and just think about raising the bar and not worrying so much about competition, but be more cooperative and, you know, or as I've heard it called before, co-opetition. <laughs> That's a great word. <laughs> well, this has been a blast. And um, in the show notes, I'm going to direct everybody over to where they can find you. And if you're ever in Durango, you need to go to Ska. And if you're ever in uh, Palisade, do you guys have a tasting room? Yeah, just- and it's right, pretty much right off I-70, so downtown Palisade. So and it, good, big tasting room, a lot of... It's hopping all summer long. It's even hopping in the winter, but summer with all the fruit and everything, it's a good place to check out. So, Oh, yeah. Well, before we go, this is a question I ask everyone. So the name of the podcast is called Run This World. And 
I like to give every person the opportunity to share with our listeners one nugget, one little piece of advice that will help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way than before. Um, so I'm giving advice to your listeners. You are. <laughs> Bring it. I don't know that they want to take any advice from me. <laughs> well, I, I, the one thing I can say, and this relates to both of, of our industries and, and us as entrepreneurs, is, is that I, there is nobody – there's a lot of people you know, that I know have regret some of the, regretted some of the choices that they've made in their lives. But I don't know anybody that's regretted getting healthier. And uh, so I think what you put in your body and what you wear on your body – uh, should make a big difference to you and it should be thought of in a holistic manner. And I guarantee you're always going to feel like a better person. You're never going to regret caring about your health. And that's, that's, I think, how I like to run our company. And I think it would be a better way to run the world. <laughs> I love that. That's the best advice ever. No regrets, man. Well, thanks so much, Dave, for being on the show today. Right on, Nicole. Thank you. And is it five o'clock somewhere? (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go hop on our bikes first. All Um, right, thanks again. All right, the coolest thing about this episode is that you expect this sort of crazy, goofy beer guy, and he is. But Dave has so much more perspective than that, and I love his message about health and making health your number one priority. And granted, we only really get there after we do all kinds of crazy stuff to our bodies and minds. Um, But I love his message and I hope it resonated with you. Now, make sure you go over to NicoleDeBoom.com. We are gonna do a very, very cool giveaway with Ska. Um, We're definitely gonna make sure that you're 21 if you win it. And uh, I don't exactly know what it's going to be, but knowing Dave, it'll be something really awesome. So with that in mind, check out NicoleDeBoom.com. And don't forget, if you are enjoying this podcast, get over to iTunes and write me a review. I definitely need reviews to make sure that my podcast keeps rolling forward. Um, And follow me on Facebook and Instagram and follow Skirt Sports and follow Ska Brewing and follow all these other cool people's companies because this is what it's about, making sure that we listen to and learn from these great visionaries and move our own lives forward. So on that note, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. I hope you have a great weekend and I will see you next time.